it gives me great pleasure to introduce Ethan and Paul. Um, Ethan is joining us from Project from Public Spaces, and Paul is joining us from the city of Newport. Um, and we're, we're all here, uh, thanks to the, the folks at Community Matters. My name's Bonnie Shaw. I'll be moderating the call. And I'm going to throw things over to Ethan to introduce uh, the concept of placemaking and to get us started. So Ethan, ready to take it away. Sure. Thanks so much, Bonnie. Um, and thanks, everyone, for taking some time to, to, to be on this call and this discussion. And the questions are wonderful. Um, I'd like to also start by thanking um, you know, Community Matters and the Orton Foundation um, for putting this on and for really offering a leadership that um, hasn't existed around really is a new paradigm in planning. They're, um, you know, they're sometimes calling heart and soul planning um, and the many different <coughs> um, types of planning that they've been cataloging and convening through the Community Matters Forum, both the conferences and the, the, the very rich online forum. Um, it offers you know, the first time that a lot of these sort of lone efforts at trying to change planning have been connected and um, it you know, brings them together in a very wealthy um, toolkit and, uh, um, uh, and, and a set of relationships, perhaps more importantly, um, that, that didn't exist before. So we've, we've <coughs> been boosted by, by that, um, by, by Orton's role, and uh, we're, we're grateful for that. Um, in that regard, we're also trying to do very similar things. Um, to, we call it become a town square of placemaking, um, where we are our role as a nonprofit project for public spaces is to support and highlight communities that are trying to create great places in, in, um, and to, uh, to share their stories, to share their inspiration, to highlight the best people and projects and, um, and uh, inspirational stories um, <coughs> and offer the best, uh, try to find out the commonalities between uh, of tools and resources and processes that are working around the world. Um, a little bit of background on PPS. We've been around for 35 years, and we've worked in about 2,500 communities now in actually 40 countries. Um, and we've worked in you know, all 50 states, many very rural areas, small towns, intersections, and as well as some of the you know, most high-profile, um, you know, large public spaces in, in, the, in the country. Um, every day is a new challenge. Every day we learn new things, um, and you know, mostly we learn from the people that are that are taking on placemaking projects in, in their communities. We were we were set up to apply the work of a man by the name of William H. White. Um, he was an urban sociologist, really a journalist. That his biggest impact, perhaps, was to get everyone to realize that they're an expert in how cities work and how um, how how people behave is really. He was an observer of human behavior, and uh, and you know helped to demonstrate how really what people do is the most revealing thing as to what. Um, as to what makes a place work. Um, so simply by watching people, we learn a lot about, about cities and public spaces. And PPS was really set up to take the principles and the findings that he had and uh, apply them um, around the country. Um, and you know, so we, are, we thought it was going to be easy to, uh, to there are the very common sense principles, but we still say one of the things he said is that it's remarkable it's difficult to create a space that will not attract people. What's remarkable is how often this has been accomplished. And unfortunately, a lot of the newest spaces, a lot of the spaces that are winning design awards, um, are not actually attracting people, and, and not to the degree which they could. 
So there's still much to learn and, and much to apply um, in terms of, of his basic findings and the, the many things we've learned since um, he's, he got started over 35 years ago. Um, a few of the sort of basic principles we, we focus, and they're very much mirror the, the heart and soul planning principles of the Orton Foundation. Is um, one is that the community is the expert, is first and foremost. That uh, that really is sort of of the you know, last 50 years, one of the one of the forces working against communities is the, the dependence on experts and outsiders, essentially, to to tell you what you need. And um, and so placemaking is really about turning the planning process on its head and starting with community assets, community expertise and knowledge. Um, another idea is that when you focus on place, you do everything differently. We, we find that you know, community-based planning is, is, is key, but the focus on place allows community-based planning to really work and changes the roles of various disciplines and partners in a, in a community to work together more effectively and efficiently. Um, this, this focus on place allows the conversation to be practical and, um, and um, and focused, it, uh, it often allows it to be more creative, and it really allows, it makes it very simple, it makes the conversation simple enough that a lot of people can contribute and understand. It's not, where most planning is very abstract about zoning and uh, uh, longer term efforts that are hard for communities to realize their relevance, direct relevance to them. Focusing on places in a community, developing a vision for what they can be, uh, often is the best catalyst for then affecting those larger, um, you know, also important, uh, uh, goals of a, of a planning process. Um, <clears throat> another another important principle is that it takes a broader set of skills and, uh, than any one discipline can offer to create a successful place. Um, you know, as I said, we you know we you know think a lot of people enter the the, the planning design disciplines you know, for the for the right reasons, um, but s some of the um, they're not succeeding yet in really creating. Uh, great communities, great places to the extent that we think is possible. Uh, and some of that is, is because of uh, sort of this phenomenon where disciplines are becoming their own audience. They're becoming more distanced from the communities they're meant to serve. And they're not believing in and trusting the, the, the knowledge and, and abilities of the communities themselves. So the role of disciplines we see is becoming more facilitators, resources, and inspirations to communities. They actually, the disciplines will actually become more important and maybe perhaps get more work if they let go of the need that they, that let go of the feeling that they have to have all the answers, that they have to um, have, have the solution. Um, if they're facilitating the community to come up with their own vision, telling them this has worked, this hasn't, telling them, inspiring them to put big, bold ideas, they can often get there faster and, and, and get further along um, through this process. And we've developed a lot of tools and processes to, to aid them in that process. Um, and one last point I'll mention is that it, it takes a place to create a community and a community to create a place, that it's an iterative process. Um, and again, that focus on place enables the constructive conversation for the communities. And I just wanted to um, also sort of point out a, there's five sort of big trends that we're seeing around placemaking that uh, you know, are relevant to most communities and, um, and, and placemaking projects. And you know, these are sort of the five areas we're calling these our, our transformative agendas. Um, Things that we think can really change the face of this country, uh, and that um, placemaking will play a key role in. Um, the first is, is transportation. Um, it's building communities through transportation. We say the biggest limiting factor in any community is how it relates to a transportation, its transportation system. Any the biggest factor in any project, often whether it's a park or a building, is how it relates to the transportation paradigm. Um, 
we've built our communities to move through them, not to them. We've, uh, we've um, planned around mobility rather than accessibility. And even, even when we talk about alternative approaches to transportation, moving towards walking, biking, transit, we, t we often talk about it from a really facilities-focused perspective. We're not talking about how do we actually create the destinations that we want to bring people to. So in a sense, we say that the point of transportation planning is to get people to places they want to be. Uh, and if that's true, it should therefore start with placemaking. How do we create great destinations, a, a network of great destinations that, that actually be make systems that are compatible with walking, biking, and transit? Um, places that we can do 10 things in one place rather than have to drive to 10 different places, as our current system is, is, is causing. Um, so we have, there's someone in our office that um, has worked at New Jersey DOT for 34 years, and 10 years ago, we were saying whatever a traffic engineer says, do the opposite, and um, you'll be building your community. And he challenged us to say, well, what would the opposite be? And so we had to scramble to figure that out, actually. But he, he had us train all the traffic engineers in, traffic engineers in New Jersey um, about 10 years ago. And uh, then a couple of years later, he actually retired and has joined our staff to, to bring that transportation shift um, to projects that we're working on all, all around the country and train traffic engineers in many states as well. So he and several others are leading this sort of transportation reform effort um, and are great resources for uh, taking on any uh, transportation challenges that communities have. Um, the, next, the next major theme that we're seeing is, is uh, public markets and, and local economies as, as sort of fulcrums for change. Um, and the, the term we're using now is, is healthy food hubs. That uh, you know, it's not just about markets or urban agriculture or, or you know, or, or grocery stores or or, um, or healthy you know healthy food initiatives. It's 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 combining these together around places that can be really catalytic and and make them each of those actually work. Um, so we've we've helped set up public we've markets across the country. A lot of the biggest public markets we've helped worked on work on, but a lot of the uh, we had a grant-making program for a while to help set up and make sustainable a lot of farmers markets in low-income, smaller communities as well um, that proved to be a pretty big success. Uh, the next larger theme is we're, we're talking about is, is uh, architecture of place. Um, we're known to be often very critical of a lot of the um, designers that are, are being celebrated in today's magazines and design awards. That they, they're, we, we often think they're beautiful, attractive, you know, very creative um, uh, you know, objects, but we think they can also be leveraged to create a great place. Why can't we also, why can't the role of architecture be to create great destinations and places that people are comfortable in? Um, so we think there's a lot more opportunity for architecture to play an important role in communities to get, to frankly get more work and to, um, to you know, broaden its impact um, around the idea of place, uh, especially with, with civic buildings, with libraries, with, um, you know, with, with uh, with what we call um, uh, sort of uh, community anchors, essentially, uh, how 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 uh, civic buildings and parks even can be destinations that are comfortable for people again, not just architectural statements. Uh, the next thing we talk about is, is multi-use destinations. Um, people, you see mixed-use developments, you see transit-oriented development. We don't think these are often creating great places. Most of the ones we've seen in this country are not. They're mixing uses. They're going a step in the right direction. Um, but they're not about places and placemaking first and foremost. And a lot of the best parks actually around the world are, par are, are, are destinations that have a lot of commercial activity in them, but they're set up for public purposes first and foremost. So a great, um, so, this, so we're trying to break down, again, the silos of different types of projects that have uh, you know, really defined our cities and, and certainly our suburbs um, you know, over the last you know, 50, 60 years. But, uh, 
but multi-use destinations is something that we haven't really even seen in this country. Is is really great destinations that are attract a lot of use and visitors are, are for public purposes first and foremost, and um, have a lot of commercial activity in them as well that supports and you know and cultural activity as well that supports the public goals and public spaces of of a, of a district. Um, the last one I'll mention um, before turning it over to Paul is this idea of lighter, quicker, cheaper. A lot of the most successful public spaces um, developments. You know, we're seeing around the world are are done through what we call lighter, quicker, cheaper. They're, they're um, often uh, short-term, small-scale, low-cost um, projects. They're temporary buildings. They're they're markets. They're they're putting on events to experiment and test ideas that can be made permanent later. Um, uh, there's you know things from from summer streets and and uh, you know this uh, open street um, movement we're seeing to. Um, to uh, you know, short-term development, you know, five-year um, plans to activate a place with small storefronts to to uh, to you know to do pop-up shops and and bring in artists to to um, you know downtowns that are are lacking in life um, that are part of a larger planning process. Though, so how do we test and experiment with things, get stuff to happen right away? Um, and we're, so we're profiling a lot of these ex these examples and, um, and and trying to understand the mechanisms behind them that can make them work. Um, and uh, and we, we find them, those to be especially inspiring to what what, commu how, what communities can do to turn themselves around in the short term. So there's a lot of great questions there, and I want to and I want to give Paul some time. So I'll I'll, I'll stop there. Um, look forward to continuing the conversation later. Yeah. Thanks, Ethan. That was a really comprehensive, amazing, inspiring introduction. Uh, Paul, do you want to take it away and talk about placemaking from your perspective? Sure. Um, thanks. Thank you, Ethan, and thank you, Orton. Um, let me begin by saying I, I'm an architect. Um, I'm, I, I've practiced for about 20 years, but I'm also the department head of a planning and zoning department in a tiny Vermont city in northern Vermont, extremely remote. We uh, in, in the city, we actually implemented, through my initiatives and guidance, uh, the first community-developed form-based code in Vermont and one of few in New England in the country, really. Um, and just a little background on me, at an early age, m my mother and father introduced me to Jane Jacobs and, and, and William H. White, and um, at that point I knew <clears throat> what I wanted to do. I, I knew I wanted to be an architect, but I didn't want to be sort of the architect that later on someone like Project like for Public Spaces would come and repair my work. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, my, I, I knew that I, you know, I had read all the uh, everything I could get my hands on through undergrad and graduate school. And the first thing I did when I landed in New York City was I, I headed to the P PPS's offices and, and went to see what they did and, and try to learn from them. So I'm going to leave that and just say what my current work is, which really spur, spurs out of that thinking. Um, I came back to Newport, Vermont in 2008. And uh, Newport's a beautiful city that was rapidly eroding um, and economically and physically due to the current zoning codes, um, the zoning codes that really promote and encourage sprawl. And, and I, I thought about it, and I, I thought um, this worried me because I, I loved where I grew up. And um, it, it occurred to me that if we could save and repair the good form in our town and promote that form to support placemaking and a sense of place, um, that most of Vermont still actually retains, we'd be heading in the right direction. So um, this brought me and my community to a uh, form-based code effort. And it's important to sort of acknowledge that the 
first thing a form-based code process asks the community is, how does it see itself? What does it want to be? And what places does the community know and love and want to replicate or preserve or uh, perpetuate? Um, it's also so somewhat important to note that typically form-based codes advocate for the public realm, um, for streets, for walkability, for um, places, for people, not, not necessarily for cars. Um, and, and just for any of you who are asking, what is form-based code, really? Well, form-based code... Hello? 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 Keep going. Okay. Um, form-based code um, is, emphasize, emphasizes the form of the public realm in the building, and it, it's not as concerned about regulating use. Use is still important, but it's not as concerned about regulating use. It's more uh, uh, concerned with the public realm and what the form of the building and the street, how that builds a, a good, solid public realm. Um, I always say that good form promotes uh, varied, uh, multiple-use places. So, and 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 the way we choose to create a form-based code is through community involvement um, and active field exercises. You actually can discover that every place has a DNA, and you can code that DNA in the form-based code. And the idea is ultimately that form-based code can begin to provide, I guess. Um, Ethan and I talk about this often, the sort of the bones or the stage set, uh, a good stage set for the place-making activities to take place on. Um, and it can create really sort of demands, connectivity, and vibrant places for, of exchange for place-making to occur. Um, and just for a record, uh, m this, these ideas are happening in my ongoing work in Dermascotta, Maine, which is an Orton community, and several other t towns in Vermont, all of which if current codes were used to try to build them or replicate them, they would not exist. So ultimately, I think it's the goal of form-based code um, to encourage uh, lively, vibrant public places and promote uh, community health and um, economic health as well. So I'll turn it over. Thanks, Paul. That's a really great uh, introduction to your perspective uh, on how how you're starting to engage with, with Placemaking uh, uh, from, I think, from a perspective inside government, um, which is uh, com incredibly complementary um, and somewhat different from Ethan's perspective coming from outside. Um, I'm going to start turning things over now to uh, some of the really interesting and deep questions that we're getting from people on the call. Um, I might start with uh, with a fairly general question here, um, which relates back to the the blog post that was posted on the Community Matters blog. It says here that placemaking is both an overarching idea and a hands-on tool. So, how do you get people to move from thinking to doing? Ethan, do you want to kick that off? If you're still on the line. Thanks. I'd put myself on mute. Thanks. Um, play, Placemaking is really about the culture of action. It's about moving from, you know, where planning is very abstract and often uh, are perceived at least to be um, looking more long term and 
uh, you know, for often rightfully, uh, place picking is about how do we get things done, how do we change the way a public realm is, is performing and how it's perceived. Um, but at the same time, it's also about looking at um, the the infrastructure um, of, of organizations, the the, um, the the culture of a community that you know may be preventing placemaking from happening. So increasingly, well, most of our work is is project based. Increasingly, our biggest impact is is training and building capacity and getting people to sort of think very different, think differently. Placemaking is ultimately very much common sense. It's something people get it very quickly, but it often requires convening people to discuss how they can start to work together differently. Often people know each other well in a community, sometimes they don't, but they've almost never come together to talk about how they can improve their shared places together. And when they do, and it's a pretty well-structured conversation informed by you know, other good examples, they have a lot to offer. Yeah, we're getting a little feedback. I think we're okay. Good. But so, you know, it's about action. It's about short-term things and experiments and getting things on the ground, what can be done in 90 days. But it often is best kicked off with a little larger discussion about what are the obstacles to placemaking? Are there underlying structural issues? Are there not the organizations in place? Do we need to really change the way we look at transportation? Often that's the underlying obstacle in communities. do we need to, you know, look at the funding mechanisms f- for for placemaking in a community, um, and then do we need to, do we have the right process? Are, um, you know, very much the culture in most communities in New York is worse than anywhere. I think um, between you know communities and and expert communities and government, it's just it's not a very creative process. So how do we turn that process inside out uh, to to make it draw the best out of both communities and and experts? Um, do you want to add to that, Paul? Or, yeah. uh, well, I can say that in the the form-based code approach is very similar to that. You start to look at the structural concerns, you know, actually the codes themselves. And, but the first the first piece of that is community engagement, and um, it's community engagement asking the questions: How, how do you how do you want, envision yourself growing or changing or staying the same? Really, so. And, and I think that that very active engagement um, invigorates a community. I, I, I see it happen all the time, whether it be in Dermascot, Maine, or in Newport, Vermont. Um, so I think it's the, the first level is asking the questions, um, and not not prescribing for them, but asking what what they would want to be. Mm-hmm. That's I think that's a it's a really interesting point, and uh, Andrew. DC, I hope I'm saying your name correctly. Desi, Andrew DC. You had a question here. Are placemaking initiatives more likely to succeed if they're grassroots generated or initiated by planning staff, governments, or decision makers? Andrew, do you want to talk about that? Because it, it feels like that's a good point to enter this. A- absolutely. Um, I'm a planner in suburban Virginia, and uh, nope. Can you hear me? Yeah, we got. We hear you. Okay. Um, I'm a planner in suburban Virginia, and uh, I work in a community of about 120,000 traditional suburban development growth patterns, and uh, a large population of folks that commute in and out of town every day. We have an ex-commute percentage of about 60%. 
Um, and, and we don't have an underlying grassroots organization or uh, what seems to be a, um, a group of citizens that are interested in placemaking, although everyone is always concerned about um, us looking exactly the same as everywhere else. And you know, certainly we as planning staff, planners, um, decision makers, we can advocate for these things, but um, I just question if, if there isn't a, if we're not able to foster a group of people to bring forward a grassroots effort, how successful that campaign would be if we were moved down the road of, of placemaking a little bit more in our community. Yeah, that's, that's a really important question. Um, we always, going into a community, we always sort of look at what are the, the strengths and weaknesses at various levels. And, and indeed, you know, great places have emerged from leadership from the grassroots and from the top. Um, and we're increasingly seeing the success of citizen-led projects, um, projects that came outside of government, outside of um, the disciplines often. Um, but but certainly there's a lot of great examples from, from how, uh, how, how government staff can, can, can take a leadership role. I'm actually in, in Bristol, Connecticut right now. We're leading a workshop tonight on, on public spaces. Um, and they've taken a really innovative role working actually with the, develop, the, the city uh, development um, company to uh, lead a, a master planning effort for the downtown. Um, and they've set up something called um, Bristol Rising, which is a crowdsourced placemaking website that they did with um, Neil Takamoto from um, Cool Town Studios. Mm -hmm. And they've, um, <clears throat> they've set it up to, to, to get people to come up with the ideas that they'd like to do downtown and then um, and actually vote on these things and c get people. So they have a list of 200 people now committed to this, this campaign, this, this, uh, this vision. Um, and it, it, so it's, they're generating and, and, and drawing along the grassroots support. Um, but you know, it's very much initiated from from the top. So, but it won't. They realize it won't work unless the crowd drives the demand, right? They, the development and the city won't change just responding to demand. So they need to generate the demand and the vision from the community and build community capacity to actually help implement these projects. Um, so it's, it's a really exciting model. <coughs> Paul, do you have something to add on that coming from from your personal perspective? Well, well, two things. I think that as as a as a city employee, as a as a, 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 a city worker, you know, our initiative was from the top down, and we we did it. We addressed stakeholders at every level, and one of the most um, important stakeholders is the business community, because, in point of fact, the business community has a large amount at stake. If a, a lively, healthy place, vibrant place, will generate more income than a, a building. In the back of a parking lot, so and that's that's something we know we can we can measure that. So if if you go to your local business leaders in the sprawl community and say, I mean, is is your economic model the best it could be? Maybe if you invested some time in some placemaking exercises, or and those are stakeholders that are as critical as the government stakeholders, as the community members themselves. The, so I think that. It's got to be a multi-pronged attack. Um, it can't just be trying to reach out to a, a, a beleaguered community. Um, so, yes. Very good. Thank you. In terms, of, uh, in terms of reaching out to the community, there's a question here from Laura Pfeiffer. Laura, are you on the line? Do you want to talk to this question around uh, the most productive questions to ask citizens or exercise? Hi. Uh, I don't know if you guys can hear me. I'm calling through Gmail right now. 
We, we hear you clear. <laughs> fine. That's, that's impressive. We hear you great. <laughs> oh, great. Well, way to go, Gmail. Uh, I'm a, a planning assistant in uh, in Hartford, Vermont, actually. So it's a it's a smaller community in New England as well. And we're just about to start a project where we go out to each of the different uh, village centers within the town and do um, do some community meetings to talk to people about you know, each village identifying what uh, what some of their priorities are and some of their interests on building their communities into the future. And so I've been looking into some of the placemaking stuff and, and I, it sounds extremely interesting. And um, and I really I really want this effort to be very citizen driven. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to know what some of the questions that you find to be effective when you're working with citizens and getting them thinking towards, you know, how to create strong communities and strong places and, and wondering if you had any insight on that. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's a couple things. Um, we have a couple tools that we use um, that we've used for a long time have proven to work. Um, one's called the place game and the, the other is called the power of 10. Um, and I'll start with the power of 10. Um, it's, this has been sort of our gimmick for getting people to focus on place. And uh, the idea is that a great place has at least 10 reasons to be in it. So you look at um, you know, the example we give is if you have a library and a children's reading room and you put a, um, a you know, coffee cart outside and maybe a, um, uh, a bench and a, a wastebasket and a bus stop, you'll have the busiest place in your community. Um, maybe a laundromat next door. Um, and we never see those uses combined. So we think that you know, people can often come up with those uses if you ask them. Very often, you know, again, planning is not focused on what are you going to do in this place. Um, it's looking, people start to think of aesthetics or, or their, their project or, um, or one problem first. So by focusing the, the, the conversation around what are 10 things that can happen in this place and how do they combine and triangulate to, to, to make the place work, you know, you're, people often can come up with great ideas. You're tapping into their expertise and um, challenging them to come up with a solution that will make that place work. Um, <clears throat> so a great street has 10 great places on it, or a great des destination or a great district has 10 great places. And then a great city or, or, or region um, has 10 great um, you know, destinations or districts. Uh, so you know, it, it, it's a simple way to sort of frame the larger planning process and perhaps a master planning process around places and in place making and make it you know more manageable and, and less overwhelming perhaps um, to, to frame the conversation. So we'll ask people going in to the community, what are your ten favorite places? What are your ten least favorite places? And what are the ten biggest oppor you know opportunity places? Uh, and you quickly get a mind map of how people sort of see and experience that 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 community. Um, the other um, you know the, I mean, the, the other dimension to that is that. Uh, um, in a sense, that's we think cities sort of succeed and fail at that place at that place scale. Yet planning sort of often uh, doesn't start at that scale, and, and the conversations aren't as, uh, aren't around that. So <clears throat> this helps get the conversation to that scale. The place game is then the next tool that we use to have people evaluate and come up with a vision for those places. You know, some of the best places, some of the opportunity places, and help turn around some of the worst places. Um, and the place game. <clears throat> has a series of very common sense questions, and I won't go through them all right now, but looking at issues of access and linkages, comfort and image, uh, uses and activities, and sociability. So I guess people to sort of take a step back out of their, their sort of one issue or their expertise, take off their hat, and look at and observe and see how this place is performing from a holistic perspective. And then we say, well, what do you like best about this place? Let's take an appreciative approach. What are 
three short-term things that could be done to, to improve the place that um, that could happen, it wouldn't cost a lot, it could happen in a, you know, a few months. What are some big, bold ideas that could happen that would really make a big impact? What partners could help implement it? Um, and then we often ask people to ask other people in the space uh, what they like about it, what they would do to improve it. So those are some questions. Uh, there's, you know, there's a lot more. Um, but you know, we get generally focusing the conversation ar around place and places, it tends to make it more, more, um, very, you know, very efficient and uh, and constructive. <clears throat> Some of the tools that we use, I use, are very similar. And in small New England towns, whether it be Newport, Vermont, or Dermot Maine, or Huntington, Vermont, is to actually get, you know, through email and all the different means, contact as many people, ask them to come out. And, and you'll, you'll usually get a good turnout, and then take them into the community, take them into outside on the street, and say, walk to the best place you know in this town, and then stand there with them and talk about the attributes of it and what makes it a viable, good place, as opposed to, you know, the, the, the gas station behind the parking lot or with the, the pumps in front. So, it, it and you'll what I find is that the moment you start to say, well, I'm listening to you. Uh, they respond, and pretty soon you have the community directing the conversation as opposed to the, the in quotes, expert or the planning official directing the com conversation. The community is answering its own questions, and, and I, I find myself more often than not being a spectator that, rather than a anything other than just watching it and writing notes, knowing that I'm going to eventually write a code about what I'm hearing. So that's, I think that's a really effective tool. It's even more effective in the wintertime because you're asking people to be outside when it's really cold and they think harder. Um, that's a joke. <laughs> no, that's great. Thank you so much. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the conversation down, down this track a little more. Um, and this is, this is following on from a couple of questions I see coming in here. Uh, one from Rebecca Stone uh, and one that's unnamed. But, um, both of you, in in your descriptions and answers on to that question, mentioned uh, small, uh, sometimes rural towns that you're working in around placemaking. Uh, Rebecca's question here is around um, placemaking in urban areas and how um, and, and what kind of difference there is between small towns and big cities um, and the types of communities and characteristics that are well suited. I, I want to try and combine that um, with a question further down around um, around suburban placemaking. Um, do you guys want to respond to that um, together uh, from from your perspectives? And, and Rebecca, if you want to add anything more, if I didn't capture that properly, please please jump in there. Um, I think that's a rich topic for conversation. Um, in a way, sometimes rural communities and cities have more in common than uh, than you know, than rural communities have to suburbs. Um, you know, we've we've found that you know a lot of the best examples of places are you know are small um, communities, you know, intersections with a you know with a soda fountain, and a general store are you know the ultimate example of the power of ten of a, of a community gathering place of of how a community for you know a whole region has a sense of ownership and connection to that place. Um, <clears throat> you know that that being said, a lot of the um, you know, forces against placemaking have, have been working in our rural communities. We've done a lot of work in New Hampshire, um, training traffic engineers, um, doing their state long-range transportation plan. 
um, you know, where they realized that the way they were planning transportation was directly undercutting the very reason people wanted to live in New Hampshire, wanted to um, go there on vacation. Uh, the, 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 the streets and roads were degrading the, the very destinations people were, um, were choosing to come to or, or, or live around. Um, so, you know, so rural placemaking, I think, is, is, is key, and it's a, it's a key issue right now. Um, on, on the national level, I think, you know, USDOT and others are, are looking at, um, and Gary Toth, uh, who, who I mentioned before is the traffic engineer um, that worked for New Jersey DOT in our office, he lives in a rural community and has written a lot on, on rural placemaking and, and the needs for it. Um, and, um, and I know Paul can definitely talk a lot about this, but just a couple of thoughts about um, the, you know, the suburbs. Um, we were, you know, we're, I live in Brooklyn, and for a long time we were snobby New Yorkers and, and didn't really like the suburbs. And um, we, but uh, we realized about, about ten years ago, um, somebody who's now on our board um, brought us to suburban Seattle and showed us how he's retrofitting uh, suburban malls to, to make third places. Um, and I think Karen True, who was on a panel with me, I think she may be on this call. Um, is led these Friends of Third Place Commons efforts um, to turn over the, the um, sort of public areas of these old malls to a nonprofit that they would manage and activate and make feasible uh, more local retail and uh, regional chains. Um, so in a way, we started to learn that the suburbs, there's actually greater demand for public spaces and placemaking in the suburbs than anywhere because there's, there's such a need for it. Um, and it's possible to do it on, on any scale. And, um, and uh, in, in places where you wouldn't think otherwise. So, um, you know, certainly the suburbs are are very relevant in this in this um, in this era right now. And how do we reinvent them and, and retrofit them around places and destinations to make them compatible with biking, walking, transit, um, to uh, to draw out the creativity in everybody um, that's there. People talk about attracting the creative class. We talk about attracting the creativity in everybody uh, and showcasing that in the public realm, in places through in place making efforts. Um, I, I would agree with, well, um, just about the suburbs. Uh, I, I agree with Ethan. The suburbs are probably the richest and most fertile uh, place for potential placemaking, uh, and the gains are potentially amazing. And one of the ways, I, I think, I don't know if everyone knows this, but form-based codes were really intended to address um, the suburbs because you, you can actually do a lot of repair through coding that will eventually produce... Um, the, all the, the the walkable, the the, the bikeable, a, a, a more pedestrian-oriented environment as opposed to, um, you know, a, a, an auto-oriented environment. And but it, I think in terms of even just the, the 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 outreach, the suburbs typically are outreaching to us, asking us how do how do we become more like that small New England town or that small Vermont quaint town on the postcard? How do we get that crossroads? feeling again. And I, I think that um, the biggest thing that we find is that we want to do sprawl repair and placemaking and or placemaking vis-a-vis form-based code are both great ways to do that. So in the bigger city, I think what's interesting about the more urban context is uh, having lived in New York City for a long time, I know that New York City is largely a, a group of small Vermont villages piled on top of each other, right next to each other. You know, I, I I know that each one of those areas, whether it be on 48th Street and 9th Avenue or on the Lower East Side, there's a, there's a village there that is a, about a series of connections and zones of exchange. 
So the placemaking potential there is obviously rich as well. And uh, so that's that's what I would say. I could talk forever about small villages because it seems to be where I live and what I um, what I'm attracted to. I think, uh, Paul. I think the really interesting point you just mentioned there was uh, was about building connections. Um, and I actually I would like to throw back to Andrew if you're still on the line. You have a great question here. Is is, uh, is place making a tool to build social capital? Or is it a product of a community with healthy social capital, or both? Do you want to do you want to talk a little bit more about that, Andrew? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I came to placemaking because I read Robert Putnam's uh, book on social capital, and I, I definitely saw a connection between the built environment and people's connections to one another. And so, um, my question is: Is placemaking a tool to build social capital? Or is it an end product of, of a good, healthy community? And I suspect it's both, but I'd like everybody to weigh in. Um, yeah, that's a great conversation. Um, we we've been using a term called we call place capital, um, where in a way we think investing in place is perhaps a better way to build social capital and and affect the other types of types of wealth building, which uh, you know build human capital. Um, cultural capital, ecological capital, perhaps, um, in that some of the efforts around social capital, um, you know, aren't aren't tied to place. So people leave or are, are disconnected. There's there's not a, a a way that that can benefit directly towards investment to the, to the same extent that a place making effort can. Um, but I think you know, place making the process of place making is one of the best ways to build social capital. It's engaging people in an appreciative approach to to planning their public realm is is a way to get people to connect around that public realm, feel committed to each other, to to that place, um, and build strong ties. Um, so it's it's both a means and an end, certainly. I couldn't agree with you more, Ethan. And I always say about well, I'm just, use the example of Newport. We we did all these exercises and a lot of placemaking exercises and to get to a form-based code. And we wrote a form-based code, and I always say Newport received a form, got a form-based code. It's the law now. But what Newport really got was a, all kinds of community strength. We, we have streets that we now meet on and talk that we didn't even know existed because we just never walked over there, never went to see, or never invested time. And when we did things like a parking day, which is a day where you take a parking space and you create it into a park in a, in a neighborhood that's not often visited but made it an event, it started to rethink, cause people to rethink, and it caused young people that wouldn't otherwise be engaged in a process to suddenly become active in a, in a civic life that um, they hadn't been active in before. And that's, to my mind, what I almost love the most about what, what, what we do is that we are building uh, capacity, community strength, community identity. Um, and, you know, it, I can have 10 meetings from my office to the cafe that I go and get coffee at. So on the street, um, and to my mind, that is that is, uh, you know, worth what we do. That's a that's a great comment. Um, the 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 question following on uh, from Andrew's comment uh, in in the document here is, how do new technologies integrate into placemaking? And I think it, it's it's a nice uh, segue from the concept of building connections um, in physical spaces in communities. I'm wondering if, if you guys can talk a little about how you see 
new technologies playing into place making in terms of organizing, in terms of building strong ties and, and, and loose ties online. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's something we're heavily involved in right now. Um we about a year and a half ago we hired a um a digital placemaker. Um but for a long time we've been trying to uh support placemaking beyond just our projects and the way we need to do that is 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 through online and getting some of these tools that I described um available to people um to truly crowdsource um placemaking efforts and then share what people are learning um you know, around the world on similar issues, uh, you know, through online um, forums. And so I know, c you know Community Matters has, has helped a lot with that. Um, but there's you know, there's a lot more we can we can all do to um, <clears throat> to create more interactive technologies that you know give the structure uh, the structures that um, placemaking requires um, the forums um, for the types of discussions that that, uh, that we're all trying to support. Um, so we are trying to put this this Power 10 tool online. We've we've done it in a few communities. We did it in Baltimore and Tupelo, Mississippi, um, this last year, and uh, we're working to get the place game online, uh, so that people can can do placemaking exercises um, independent of us, uh, and but also crowdsource a lot of information about pub different public places around the around the country, around the world, um, that that can be shared. Um, but I also encourage people to look at this this model, that, this Bristol Rising model. Um, they're, they're using a Ning site um, to to create the online presence for the community building effort that's that's um, that's going on here. Um, so it offers a, a rich tool as well. I I, I think that the real time response the at Orton has uh, keypads that are fantastic that can do, do keypad polling and have instantaneous real time results. One of the tools that I I love that's a technology tool Google invented, Google SketchUp. We can start to talk about things in a in a in a charrette at a evening meeting, and within minutes, model three D three dimensional model what we've just spoken about, and sort of try it on for size, shake it out, and say, does this does this is this what we imagined? Is this what we meant? And if it's not you can adjust it really quickly. My 12-year-old nep nephew is better on Google SketchUp than anyone I know, um, and you know he's a 12-year-old guy. So it's not hard to do these things, and it's it's a very nimble tool. I guess that's the way, and that's the way I think of most of the technologies that we have at our disposal. They they allow us to be a bit more nimble than we might have been 10 years ago, um, and so I think you know anytime you can. Uh, take something and really quickly experiment with it and see how it feels or looks through a technology that you're 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 expediting and you're well I actually don't think you want to expedite the process I like the process but you're able to have more levels of engagement Paul do you also uh do you come across uh any good arguments for the use of open data and um and more integrated data collection and tracking in, in your work in placemaking? I, I don't really. I mean, I, I'm not opposed to it, but I have not. Um, we, we, no. I, I, I wouldn't say that we do. <laughs> is, there, is there anyone on the call that maybe can contribute to that a little that are using interesting techniques or interesting technologies uh, around uh, engaging people with in uh, online or with with new techniques. Is there anyone that would like to add anything to that? Uh, this is Laura again from um, from Hartford, 
it's not something that I've done in Hartford here, but um, something that I've done back in Saskatchewan where I come from is uh, even just using things like Google Maps and having them as open open maps that people can look at and modify and identify things that they like in their communities is a really simple way of getting people to, to kind of visualize and share information with each other. That's a great idea. That's a fantastic idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's 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 really awesome, and I I think uh, with, I'm seeing a list of uh, of some of these tools and techniques coming into this document. If if anybody has any more that they would like to add, I think that's a really great resource for everyone to to experiment with. Good afternoon. I don't know if anyone can hear me, but I I found that when you're looking at uh, as I'm listening to your this conversation. It sounds very familiar to something that I just recently did in a um, suburb of Maryland. And one of the things that I asked them to do was to conduct a survey of particular life skills and or businesses that existed in the community. And from that, you could take on a, take another look at that and, and, and see what those businesses and or life skills do in terms of support of different industries and that way you can create your own industry-based communities, which also facilitates all of the different uh, things that you're talking about as it relates to form-based codes, because I think that economic sustainability is one of the things that helps to make uh, any environment attractive. So I think that that's one of the things that you can do. You can, you can conduct those kinds of surveys on Skype or uh, Google or uh, you know, having town hall forums to gather get gather data, and then do an uh, an analysis or assessment of what type of industries would best suit your uh, particular region or community. Thank you. That's a that's a really great comment. Now we also we have someone's entered in a, a case study. They're just starting to the process of placemaking in North Fork Valley in Western Colorado. Are you still on the line? Would you like to, to fill us in on what you're up to there? Or maybe they're feeling a little shy. Um, Ethan, do you, uh, do you want to jump in and, and um, kind of give us a few pointers on, on the best ways that people can just get started on something like this, if they're going to take some action and um, and really kind of jump yeah, in and, and sure. get started, what, what the best way to, to do that is? Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, there's certainly ways to get started on, on all different scales. Um, I, I think hosting this you know, conversation, and you know, someone mentioned Google Maps as a way to do this. Um, we're trying to set up these tools so people can, can do it themselves. But asking people in their community what are their, you know, their 10 favorite places, their, their, their 10 least favorite, their 10 biggest opportunity places is a great way to Start the conversation, um, and then, and then perhaps having people, you know, teams of people, um, you know, connect with those, with you know, picking a place or two um, to take on. What are the let's let's take on five places in the short term, and you know, get get committees of people to look at you know what can be done uh, in each of those places in the short term, the long term, et cetera. Um, the the other way though is often to look at. You know, to, have, to get a group of people looking more holistically at a community, perhaps more leadership level people, but, um, and, uh, and and discussing well, what are the uh, biggest obstacles to placemaking? You know, maybe after after some general introductions to, with these types of dis- things we've discussed today, um, asking what are the obstacles and what are the biggest opportunities for applying placemaking, and 
and uh, and so there might be some cross-cutting things that need to be addressed in the community, like you know, like I said, transportation or uh, or organizational structure, the siloization of government or of um, you know, uh, or the lack of a, a of a, um, a sufficient nonprofit or public space management organization um, that could help take on to meet the capacity that's needed to to accomplish the community's goals. That's great. And and Paul, do you do you have some advice on people with how people can can kind of start small and and look to scale some of these efforts? Well, it, I do, and and I what I always say to the communities that I work in. You do everything and anything to get involvement. We, I mean, we find that we actually end up, you know, going to shops and meeting with the shopkeepers. We we send email lists out that are comprehensive. Um, if somebody's a great resource, an older gentleman or an older woman in town who's who's not necessarily going to come out to a, a community meeting, we um we send ambassadors in. I mean, we we um we really. Uh, I mean, I, I I worked on the, the Howard Dean campaign, and um, and you know we went and knocked on doors. Obviously, that's what you do when you campaign. And I sort of think of the 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 sort of community building, grassroots community building, and placemaking, or even grassroots code writing is something that needs to be hit on multi multi in multi multi ways, not just the the easy ones. Not the, the um, one of the things we did in Newport. Was we did two things. We we sent a notice in every tax bill. Every time a tax bill went out, we're having these meetings. You should come out. And then everyone in these small towns in Vermont all has a, a hardware store that they have an account at. So we got the hardware store to put flyers in their their the bills that went out every month and said, come to these meetings. And it was whatever we could do to get engagement from the community to be involved. And then when they were beginning to be involved, we asked that question. What do you want to be? How do you see this? This is not about city officials telling you what you should be. This is about you telling the planners, the city officials, what you want to be, and what you what. You know, Ethan says it several times. That what places are? What are the great places? What What are the not so great places? What can you do to improve them? And those are all the tools you ask once you get them into into your uh, into the into the mix. And my my what I find typically is when you get people involved they tend to want to stay involved it's it's the first hurdle is getting them there we we have people that show up in Dharamascotta Maine and they'll show up for a full full day workshop all day four hours and then they'll show up at night and then they'll show up the next morning for a cafe session and we'll talk about the same thing every one of those times <laughs> but they they want to be engaged they like I think people enjoy I enjoy being engaged, so I'm, I'm guessing that I'm not atypical of the rest of the population. <laughs> I think I think that's really good advice. It's it's about kind of understanding how you personally want to want to participate in your community, and then and then scaling that out to uh, to the people that you're involved with. Um, I, uh, I I would like to. Um, to thank Ethan and Paul. We're getting close to five o'clock now. Um, I just wanted to see if maybe there is anything that you guys want to finish on as as kind of takeaways for everyone on the call. Uh, if if there's one thing that that we should all look to do in our community um, to really encourage good placemaking, uh, what what would you say that is? I can say one of the things that I've found um, 
most successful and most potentially fruitful is I, I engage the students, the young, the youngest people I can find. You know, I, I, I think that if we can start to build lifelong placemakers, lifelong civic engagement people, um, then we're going to have healthy communities for the future, not just for the, the generation that is mine or right below me or right above me. So that's my my uh, first step is always get to the schools, get them drawing, get them imagining, and empowering them. Uh, Ethan, Ethan yeah. do you want to comment? Sure, yeah. Um, it's true. I think the schools are an interesting one. We've, we've really designed children out of our communities, and uh, it's, we need to design our communities for them to make it work for everybody else. Um, but, you know, but more generally, in a sense, we've all become passive consumers of of our of our communities of you know of, of life of um of uh, of of our planning processes we're uh sort of you know giving input into a plan reacting to something and you know placemaking is really about being co-creators of of uh, of our environment of our communities um it's taking ownership over it realizing that these communities do reflect our identity our values our um and and they, and they in turn shape us they're we are shaped in in more ways than we ever realized by by the public realm within which we walk, um, so we have to we have to take ownership over this. That's really the the key to the the environmental crisis. Essentially, is that uh, we've privatized our lives. We no longer see ourselves as as uh, as, as shaping the, the world, and therefore we no longer feel responsible for it. And and environmentalism is really going to be <coughs> addressed through um, through taking ownership over the world beyond our homes, in our in our main streets, in our downtown. So we're going to ramp more people onto that. To that challenge, um, so I, you know, I encourage everyone to, you know, I think the, the people on this call, the list was was incredible, and uh, we hope we can all you know, stay connected. Um, you, know, you all are, are leading the way and learning and showing the best examples. We want to learn from all of you. We hope you'll stay connected through Community Matters and through our website. Um, and uh, we're, we're really excited. And there's a, there's a, sounds like someone, a youth <laughs> there, Paul, right there. the future placemaker. <laughs> so we, uh, I have a one-year-old too, so I can, I can understand. Um, so it's very, very exciting to have this opportunity. And I, I hope we can do more, more calls on this topic, perhaps going uh, into more depth into some specific topic with different resource people. On. So um, from me and, and I'm sure from everyone on the call, a huge thanks to and Paul and to the folks at Community Matters. And uh, that wraps up our placemaking call. Thanks, every, thanks, thanks everyone. This is uh, really great. We'll be getting the uh, Google Doc out to everyone, so you'll have all the resources and all of the notes that are available in that. And we'll also be making a podcast available of the conference call. So have a great afternoon, everyone. Thanks for your time. And uh, go out and make great places.